0: voice you may not be accustomed to, Chad Adams, sitting in for my good buddy Pete Callender closing, doing the American dream thing, closing on a house, getting through this COVID thing, finding a house in Mecklenburg, and in that area, it's a hot market, it's like finding a house in Cary and getting something, he's closing, going through all the rig roll details, and I know this, I'm in the process of building a house, and you know, I've said it before, if you have a choice between building a home and giving birth to a flaming porcupine, consider that Second option, and, and I, I'm sorry to start out that way, but man, it's it's a hot market, and so we wish Pete he'll be back soon, and you're stuck with me till then, formerly of the Big Talker FM down in the Wilmington market, and i uh, known Pete for many years. Glad to be in there. And the wonderful folks taking care of things. Ryan is making it sound good, and I appreciate Ryan. He's uh, worked with him before when we've sat here at this microphone here at WBT. So uh, a little bit going on. We're going to have Hal Weatherman joining us later. Now, Hal Weatherman, for those of you who don't know, he's from kind of that, you know, the, the Mecklenburg, this market. But also he's been active in politics for at least 30, maybe 35, 40 years. I've known him for probably 15, 20 years. A very astute political observer, and as as we're discussing the situation with redistricting and what happened with the Supreme Court, so the partisan maps that were drawn by the Republicans were rejected by the partisan court, which uh, straight along party lines, and the bizarre nature of how that comes about when these maps were far more favorable than the maps in, say, New York. Now, I'm not doing whataboutism. I'm just saying the people claiming like Mark Elias and the rest of the political left Democrat hit folks that have been around judge shopping. And I literally mean that, judge shopping in various states, looking for ways to, they, they say it's about fairness, but it's really, if it were really about fairness, they would not just file suits in Republican states. If it were really about fairness, they wouldn't. They would go to New York. New York's literally drawing Republicans out of existence up there, trying to, because they see where the winds are heading and, and they're just not heading well. So. As we'll look at that, we'll have Hal on. And the reason I want to have Hal on is he wrote a very interesting Facebook post. Now, normally, Facebook post, you know, 50, 60 words. It's very Twitter-like and people posting videos of themselves and pictures and all that stuff. But this was an an observation about an incident that took place with him. It's really more of an essay than it is a post. And I want to get into that because it's very telling. This was an incident that took place a few years ago with he and the former Lieutenant Governor Dan Forrest. I will read that. I want you – I think it's important that people understand that when they when they see these Supreme Court legislators and they talk about fair maps, the court doesn't even give guidance as to what that is and people screaming. And, and, and Judge Newby saying some of the statements that he's has said have been taken completely out of context by those in the media when he's referring to political maps and fair maps. and And these are the kind of things because the Constitution of the state doesn't say that they can't be partisan, and the Supreme Court has agreed you can have partisan maps. In fact, these maps. Yeah, David Lewis, former, uh, now defrocked House Republican House member, rules guy. You know, once said, "Why did why ha- Why did you draw a ten three map? We had thirteen districts, three Democrats, ten Republican." He says, "Because I couldn't figure out how to draw an eleven two map." So there clearly was, and that, I'm sure he was embarrassed about that in court when he had to admit that. Now we'll get into that later in the broadcast. There's you know, so many times it's it's kind of a slow news day, but there's nothing about today that's a slow news day. You have new polling for the president that's absolutely deleterious. It's, it's absolutely unfathomable how poorly this particular president is seen, not just by members of the other party, but unaffiliated and Democrats as well. That's going on. Yeah, it had a horrific inflation report. Inflation, the worst it's been since 1982, continues to defy expectations. They keep wanting to say it's only 7, 7 point, but no, much higher. And they'd have no they never this is the funny, this administration never looks and says, you know what, maybe what we're doing, maybe it's not working. And let's just change course. If if you knew your car was kind of out of control or you had a flat tire, you kind of stop, say, hmm, scratch your head, fix the tire. Fix the flipping tire, get it back on the car, go. No. They don't even they, they, And what's even worse, what's more insidious, is that maybe they do know exactly what they're doing and they just don't care. You know, when you go to fill your gas cat, you know, it's 345 350 It's funny. In, in a gas station near me, there's a little picture of Biden next to the final fuel price on a, on a pump someone put. probably. I mean, <laughs> who knows who did it? And it says, I did this. So it's not a slow news. Day. That's just some of the stuff that's going on. You have the inflation. You have the southern border. You have this cancel culture going after Joe Rogan. Many things happening on that front with Rumble and other platforms. And it. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. We'll also certainly, you know, the Ukrainian situation. But here in this market, in this particular, on this particular beautiful day in February, absolutely gorgeous day. I, I want to remind you, we're talking about, you know, you're looking at your kids and you're masking and all this stuff that's going on in all these schools. And the trend line, absolutely, you look at it day by day. We now have 35 school systems in the state of North Carolina that are mask optional, where the school boards have said, you know what, Governor Cooper, you and your toolkit have a great day. Because the toolkit is not law. You'll hear some school systems try to act like that. School board members try to act like it's a it's a guide. It hasn't necessarily changed the outcome in any school, anywhere, at any time. It's very it can be very aggressive against school systems that don't follow it. But now the trend line, 35 school systems, and growing, by the way, have said no more. You know what? I'm I'm tired of doing this. We're we're we are destroying our children's educational opportunities. We're destroying their ability, especially kindergarten, first, second, third grade, in the way they learn and see each other's faces, in the way they see the teachers and learn to speak. We're, we're getting crushed on mask scores. We're getting crushed on, on testing. It's, it's a, we've got people that are trying to, oh, let's get, let's not look at tests because of the pandemic. We're losing our kids. And yet, if you look at the area, in just just this area, Mecklenburg still has their mask policy. Or at least last I checked. some of the, But the ones adjacent, it's kind of interesting. It's this, this array of school systems that have said, you know what? We're not doing that. And they're all around Mecklenburg. Mecklenburg's kind of this lone holdout, which is usually the case when it comes to, I guess, more control. Cabarrus, Gaston, Lincoln, McDowell. McDowell, that's the way they say it up there. McDowell, Union, Catawba, Lincoln, Stanley, Yadkin, all of these county school systems. Cleveland, all of those in this area. You drew a circle around Mecklenburg and extended out about 60, 80 miles. Those are all the school systems that have gone mask optional. Just that close. So 10 counties around Mecklenburg, free. Parents have said, had enough, done. Not going to happen. Not going to do it anymore. So and, and and as we get into the next segment, we're going to take a break here in a second. When we uh, come back, I, I want to tell you kind of a personal story. Many of you knew that. Uh, Pete went through the COVID situation. Our family, it, w- it went right through our family. But I want to let you know that a lot of hospitals and a lot of patients don't realize what their rights are. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a story. In fact, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that my, this is going to sound. A little, I'm hopeful that my mom is actually trying to listen to this show today. It's possible, and that becomes a bigger story on the other side of the break. Stay tuned. We'll be right back, Chad. I'm sitting in. Ah, what a day. That's a great day. If you're down at the coast, it's, you know, it's like we have everything you have but the ocean right now. So, Chad Adams sitting in for Pete Callender. Hope he's doing well here at News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. And uh, appreciate you guys being a part of everything we do here. And these folks make it sound wonderful. Legacy, great station. I argue probably the best talk news station in the state. I've, I've done guest appearances on almost all of them. I've been a guest on most of them before I was a full-time host and and some wonderful folks out there. Now, want to get into this. Want to get into this situation with you. You all know folks who've been sick. You all know folks that are that it, it, you've, they've been in the hospital with COVID or whatever else. I, I had the unfortunate reality my father uh, was suffering from cancer for three years. It was a, it was a, uh, not going to end well. We knew that. But for those three years, he went to the hospital, picked up a number of infections, even through COVID, made it through COVID, died last February. But didn't get COVID and, you know, in and out of the hospital. But he picked up multiple infections in two different hospitals in North Carolina that were life threatening. Picked them up inside the hospital. Mercy, I mean, we had to dress up in hazmat suits and just to say hello to him. So I, I say that because the next phase of what's happened, I, I just want folks to be aware of. If you've had a loved one, you've been in the hospital and you go to visit them in the hospital and say you can't do that or, you, you know, you have to you can go around to the outside. I want to tell you the story of my mother anecdotal stuff, and uh, there's no anger here. Frustration, yes. Anger, no. So, triple vaxxed, uh, gets COVID, and the first week, and she's got some comorbidities on board. She's older, obviously, and the rest of us end up picking it up or, or got it around the same time, and many of us didn't have, I was very fortunate, didn't, four days of a fever, and that was about it for me. My mother, on the other hand, ends up getting pneumonia, and that's the worst. That COVID pneumonia is no joke. Goes to the hospital, the low, and I'm not going to use hospital names. I, I don't. There's there's more going on across the spectrum here than there's just so much going on. in administrative states, we have a problem in North Carolina. We have a serious cartel that is that is it, about the way we do hospitalization and stuff. The way the kind of power, the way it's consolidated, and 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 we have no competition. And When you don't have competition, you don't have a lot of control. You don't have any control of prices. Most doctors have no idea what they're charging for things. So my mother gets put in the hospital, small local hospital, and through the process, we can't see her. They keep saying you can't see her. And as I was tracking this, you know, documenting everything that's going on, letting her friends know what's going on, a lot of people start saying, "Chad, you need to be you. You have a right to see her." North Carolina Senate Bill One Ninety One, the Patient, the No Patient Left Alone Act. I was familiar with the act. Senator Joyce Kravitz, one of the primary authors just north up in Cabarrus County, Winston-Salem, Forsyth, I guess, not Cabarrus. Nonetheless, you know, after a couple days of this, we had to go through the outside window and look through the window. It was absurd. We were trying to tell them. And then finally, we had to get the legislators involved, call this hospital and say, no, they have a right. It was as of November 1st, states that patient visitation rights in hospitals, nursing homes, assisted living and hospice care facilities will not be impacted during declared disasters and emergencies, meaning you have the right. If a hospital violates this, violation of those visitation rights, being given a warning, the facility, the hospital, whatever, gets a warning, and 24 hours to allow visitors to get in there. If visitation is not allowed after the 24-hour warning period, the facility will be fined $500 a day. Now, here's the problem I have with all that. Well, you know what? We're going to have to take a break in a second. We're we're going over to Mark Miller, uh, but I do want to, get to all of it. a lot of interesting information. Now, when you go, so we called the hospital, they didn't let us. We got together and had some other folks say, Hey, here's the law. We read them the law. And then they pull us into a room. The, part of the administrative staff pulls us in the room. And I, none of this is against doctors or nurses. Those folks are amazing what they've had to do. I hate that many of them are being mandated to get a vaccine that they may not believe in. They're not being given a choice. That is, that is an issue. And in fact, this particular hospital told me to quit calling them vaccines and to call them therapies and therapeutics just because it can minimize what it does to you. These were the nurses on the floor at the hospital. But we get pulled into a room by the administration, and they say, you know what? We realize you have powerful friends. And that was one of the most infuriating things that could be said because that this law applies to everyone. Not anyone who's got connections. It applies to every single one of you. We heard at this particular hospital, due to the way rooms are set up and where people have to be stored through this pandemic, we have Alzheimer's folks in hospital that are in these beds because of the way they're allocated that haven't had a visitor in a year because most folks don't know they have the right to go see a loved one in these facilities. They don't know. But that's the law, and it applies to everyone. And if a hospital tries to deny you, mention it. North Carolina Senate Bill 191, they don't have a right to forbid you. There are conditions. But it's pretty clear you can get to see your loved one, and you should. In my mother's case, we finally got in to see her, and then we ran into a situation, and the administration was, they should have let everyone in. They weren't. They are now. Then we had to transport her because these regional hospitals, a lot of the smaller ones, don't have what we needed. I mean, her situation was going from bad to worse. And then when you get put on a list, here's where this gets even more interesting to me. And again, I'm trying to be very objective here. They got on a list. You can be put on a list in North Carolina where a hospital, if they have an ICU bed that pops open, they can transport that individual. There were a series of issues that prevented us from moving this individual, my mother, to the the hospital in Forsyth was where she was going to go. It didn't happen. What we found out in the process of being, by the way, be an advocate for your family. Be an advocate. Don't don't harass that for anything, but constantly learn and evolve and learn about whatever it is your loved one is going through and be that tireless advocate because you will get more answers and they will ask more questions, which is good. But when they were looking for a bed to put her in, there was one less than 45 minutes away, completely available. It just happened to be across state lines, not unlike you would be Mecklenburg going across to Rock Hill. They didn't look at that hospital. That hospital had a bed. It had all the equipment that was needed, the high-flow oxygen. It had all the facilities, had a trauma center. It wasn't even looked at. Instead, they were looking at hospitals three, four hours away. My mother gets moved in the middle of the night. We finally get to go visit at this hospital not too far away. I don't know how it happened in the middle of the night, but things went from bad to worse. She's in ICU on a ventilator, possibly listening right now, trying to get her off the ventilator. Don't know how it's going to end. I'm just going to tell you, don't know how it's going to end. Staff has been great. Here's the fun. Here's the, the part that'll make your, just, it's happened to you. She was transferred in the middle of the night, 1 30 in the morning. I get a call from the administration at this particular hospital, ask, making sure all the information so that they can bill who they need to bill is correct. I did not get a call from a doctor For Almost 48 hours after she was put in the hospital. That's not because the doctors are bad or the nurses. It's just interesting. The administration was more concerned about getting paid than they were about communicating to the family about what's going on. We had to go to the hospital. We had to talk to folks. And anyway, it's this entire story. There's enough going on with folks. They shouldn't have to be tireless advocates for their loved ones. I'm not special. I'm a special, more special, and it's kind of the, the Joe Rogan thing. Joe Rogan, and we'll talk a little bit about Joe Rogan on the other side of the break, but you have a right under Senate Bill 191 to visit your loved ones in the hospital. <laughs> it's all those talking heads, not. You may ask yourself. Now, Chad, i sitting in for Pete Callender. Appreciate you being here joining us on this uh, gorgeous day WBT radio and all the wonderful folks that are making it possible like Ryan and uh, news talk 1110 993 you want to get in on the conversation the call in line 704-570-1110 did i get that right oh, ryan i hope i got that right Eleven ten five seven zero eleven ten. 570 1110 and i there's a, i want to make sure i say it right because you have to say it the correct way and otherwise you know think bad things could happen now there is a lot going on out there, the, uh, and, and what's happening in North County, you do have a right to see your loved one, did want to mention that. The CDC director yesterday says, you know, basically comes out on a story from hot air and says, hey, you know, we know numbers are going down dramatically, but we're not changing anything on our guidance. Nothing about the mask mandate, even as states all over the country, especially left-leaning states, are starting to tear down walls and knock out these, these crazy mandates. Massachusetts, Georgia, Oregon, Connecticut, Delaware. All of them and more, Washington, getting slowly getting rid of these mask mandates, left-leaning states doing that. Now, I want to relay another anecdotal story, because it's germane to this discussion. And it's happening at different places all over the state. Not every county health director is necessarily overzealous, but so I'm on I'm on a board at a charter school, a school of choice. Very proud of these schools. They do fantastic work. And Long about the fall, they started getting the health department in one of the counties. We're in three different counties, one of the counties, not mentioning any names, Brunswick, not going to mention their name. That we start getting letters talking about mask mandates that we need to do this. We need to do that. But they didn't they didn't like the information we were giving them. So they sent a sheriff's deputy with letters threatening to arrest staff and punish them and put them in jail for up to two years if they didn't take a knee. And do what the local health director said. It was amazing. Not mentioning any names, Brunswick. Not going to talk about it. But I was kind of blown away. The staff was. I mean, imagine you're a, a headmaster at a, at a school and you get a letter basically saying you will do what we tell you to, or we're going to arrest you, and put you in jail. It's terrifying. Multiple letters delivered. Now, roll forward a couple months. We had a mask mandate. If we went above five, it was a five. If, if any school went above five percent positive cases then a mask mandate went in. Otherwise, it was mask optional. Yesterday, we passed a, a, a resolution to make our schools mask optional pretty much immediately and tell the county, you need to do your contact tracing. It's not a school's job to do contact tracing. It's not our job to keep track of those cases where they want to be at home, quarantined. Brunswick County, the county that we're also in, went mask optional. I don't know if they're going to do the contract tracing, but you don't know where kids go in the weekends and, and nights and mornings and when they're hanging with their friends. We, we just, just don't know. So to put schools in that, it was taking an extraordinary amount of time. Now, it's going to be interesting to see how the, the county kicks back or says anything. Don't know. But this is happening. in different. Union County stood tall and proud, one of the first counties to say, we're not doing what you tell us, to which HHS under Mandy Cohen, Dr. Mandy Cohen, who worked for Roy Cooper at the time, basically said, oh, yeah, well, we, we could shut you down. To which Union County, as my recollection goes, said, "You know what? Try it. We'll see how that goes. See how you look publicly going after kids who have a point like oh 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 two percent chance of having none of our kids. By the way, at our schools at our four campuses, none of them have had a serious illness in the past two. They haven't as of COVID. They haven't. No serious cases. Thank goodness. We're thankful for that. So it's got it's gotten kind of maddening how this has become such a a bizarre." Through the Looking Glass experience, I I, I don't know what folks are going to say years from now, but I have a feeling. Excuse me. I know. And, and in the world, I mean, the the unbelievable social media, everybody's right because we all have opinions now. We can go by aliases. I don't. You can find me on Twitter. Chad Adam Show, you can find me. Follow me. Uh, I follow Pete stuff. We We try to get to the truth out there. We take our hits, too. You don't like what we say? That's fine. The beauty of this country is you can say pretty much anything. Well, you could until recently. Until you look at Joe Rogan and what they're doing to Joe Brand, they don't do the same. They don't hold everyone to the same standards. If you have a libertarian or slightly right of center look and feel and you become a threat because too many people listen to you, they're going to come after you. They don't just say, hey, if you don't like Joe Rogan, don't listen to him. If you don't like Pete Callender, don't listen to him. Instead, they find a need to censor, to to shut him up, to own him. And it's really about ownership. Ted Danson puts on blackface. Governor Northam puts on blackface. Justin Trudeau puts on blackface. Jimmy Kimmel puts on blackface. All these people can do it. Howard Stern, blackface. That's okay to the political left. But that Joe Rogan discusses things outside the mainstream and has legitimate interviews with folks, you got you to gotta go after him. You got to end this guy. You got to end him. He did issue an apology. never works. You can't apologize to the, the political left like that. I don't mean to be mean, but you can't. I mean, I had a lengthy discussion yesterday about the January 6th riots. And my perspective has been, anybody that broke the law, prosecute them. Prosecute them. But take take it a step further. Anybody who broke, anybody who breaks the law should be prosecuted. You don't just go after one team. (laughs) Because all those protests that took place in Charlotte and Raleigh, there were people that broke, went Fayetteville all over North Carolina and all over the country. Very few prosecutions. Very few. I mean, some of the rest, they get bonded out. And you never see them again. I don't know. It's like coming across the southern border. <laughs> you get put on a plane, get moved to a city. No problem. Uh, it's one of those times. And uh, we're going to be speaking with Hal Weatherman at the top of the hour. And, and, and just to add a little bit to this and Hal Weatherman, formerly with Lieutenant Governor Dan Forrest, and a lot going on in elections. We'll talk about the Supreme Court stuff and what's going on in North Carolina with redistricting. This is a lot. But we now see. And, and by the way, you're, you're welcome to be a part of the broadcast today. Feel free to, to call in. Call in numbers. I'll better get this right. It's 704-570-1110. 570 Welcome to get in on this. But you know that things are starting to to pile up for the political left. Joe Biden's poll numbers are in the tank. Democrats really don't have a path forward from a solution standpoint. They're not excited about solving any problems. They're just now, they're, they're trying to, to whip up the January sixth stuff, but the way they set up the committee didn't give them a lot of a lot of ability to do that. They could have gone after it more earnestly. They didn't, but they're going after and they're trying to blame people in the past. And these inflation numbers aren't going their way. The job stuff—I mean, even though the the jobs number was much better than they anticipated last week, it it didn't unemployment actually went up, and due to inflation, record numbers today reported. Even the people that are getting jobs. Are losing to inflation. If, you, if you're increasing at one two percent, payroll's going up. If you're if you got a seven percent annualized rate, you're losing money. You're doing more work. But here's where the left is running into a bit of a a bit of a headwind. And we'll talk about wind energy in North Carolina too. So many things happening. Is that a group like The Atlantic? The Atlantic. If you haven't if you haven't read The Atlantic, it's it's a left of center publication. You can and, and uh, they're at least fairly honest about that. They have some stellar writing. You can read their stuff. So The Atlantic has an article today that says uh, this is where the Democrats are losing their media base. They're losing e- – more and more folks in the media left, which is the vast preponderance at the national level, they are starting to really push back. And the political folks are not used to that. So The Atlantic has an article today called It's Time to End Pandemic Restrictions Right Now. Not wait, but right now. And, and, and that's, that's a serious problem. Now we're gonna take a break. When we come back, we're gonna go into this. Welcome back. Chad Adams, your guest host this afternoon. A little before the top of the hour. We'll have Hal Weatherman, former governor or Lieutenant Governor Dan Forrest's chief political guy. And a, a, an interesting anecdote or story that happened to them. When they this is funny. It's a funny story, but it has a lot of stuff that should, you know, make you scratch your head. When they were sent up north to represent the state of North Carolina and sat between Former Governor Rendell and former Governor of Virginia, Terry McAuliffe, both former heads of the DNC and the conversation that went on between them uh, back in 2017. Now, I also want to mention, I thought it was uh, what, what uh, Winter Bowl was saying about these crack pipes. And, and it, it occurred to me when I saw this crack pipe story, I, w- I was thinking to myself, did they make this out of recycled material? Did they did they did, Are they worried because they're so worried on the West Coast about straws that I wonder, you know, did they make sure that all the crack pipes are recyclable or have been recycled? In some way, I don't know, because they don't tell you that. And Gensaki tries to act like, ah, oh, the crack pipes aren't really part of what we originally proposed. They kind of made it in after the fact. Nonetheless, it is funny. And, and they mentioned also in the, in the commercial break about Nancy Pelosi's $250 million net worth. And, and look, if these guys have insider trading, go after them, SEC, turn them loose. It'll never happen. But you can, you can keep on hoping it will. But here's the funny part about both Pelosi and, and Obama by default. It has nothing. The insider trading thing is one thing with Pelosi, but and other senators and House members. There's a bunch of them on both sides of the aisle that have some problems. But I remember when Obama, one of the chief champions of sea level rise and AGW, climate change, all of it, you know, the Paris Accord, all of it, buys a beachfront home in Martha's Vineyard. Now I have no problem with him buying a home. None. You got the money, you got the finances, go build, buy, whatever. But you're buying an oceanfront home while telling the rest of us that sea level rise is going to destroy the planet. It gets funnier. Nancy Pelosi bought a beachfront home in Florida. There's so many different forms of irony attached to Nancy Pelosi's purchase of that house with respect to DeSantis, the beachfront, the sea level rise, all of it. And insider trading now. But take it a step further. Obama's got a new home that he's building in, in, in Hawaii. Beautiful place to be. But it's beachfront also in Hawaii. But no one will. I mean, if you ask those questions, you're just you're some, you know, I don't know, burned up, crazy, whatever. Now, getting on to the Atlantic story, the, the, the left is losing kind of the media base. There's becoming there's more and more of a a rip in the fabric between these two groups that have really covered for each other, that have, have been fantastic propaganda outlets for the political left. And now the political left finds itself in uncertain times. Do we get rid of these mandates? Do we start opening back up? Do we live? And we want to make sure we get the credit for it somehow because we're doing terrible in the polls right now. So The Atlantic, a left of center, a lot of good writing out there, uh, has a piece. And it talks about the need to, in fact, the title of it is that it's time to open things up. It's time to just tear down, open everything. The time to end pandemic restrictions is now. So the left is asking the political left, to do something about this. And, and the author of this wrote a column in March of 2020 called Cancel Everything because they, when you don't know this knee-jerk reaction stuff, when we look back at what we've done to our society, our economic, uh, global economic structure, what we've done to our kids, we will look back and go, we shouldn't have done a lot of what we did. That didn't really make a huge difference. And I get when a pathogen is new and novel and you don't know what the hell you're dealing with, you got to do something. But the response that government had did not really change the outcome. In fact, in many cases may have made it worse. But in this article, the opinion now that she shares almost two years later, highly effective vaccines are available free of charge to any American over the age of five who chooses to take them. Antiviral pills, which will further reduce the risk posed by COVID-19, will soon be in wide circulation. We finally have the tools to live with this. Yet life in America remains shaped by pandemic caution thanks to state directives. We have them in North Carolina policies adopted by private organizations and choices made by individuals. At the beginning, we were too slow to adapt to changing circumstances. Now we're in danger of prolonging the status quo. It's time to open everything. And on to what the government has done. The, the most severe government restrictions on everyday activities adopted at the height of the pandemic, many have been lifted. That's true. So in response to this call to open everything, some will inevitably claim that America is no longer closed. Just this week, Democrat-led states, including Jersey and Connecticut and others, announced they would soon end some mandates. But this view ignores, and this is a key part of this, of this opinion piece, this view ignores how profoundly steps to stop the spread of the virus still affect everyday life and how much reopening work is left to do. An Axios-Ipsos poll found that only 18% of Americans say their lives are returned to normal. Now think about that. Less than one in five. Less than one in five Americans' life is returned to normal. And it's, I, I would love to see the 18% where it's completely normal, because I have trouble believing there's 18% where it's completely normal. Maybe if they come into contact with a grocery store once in a while and they come into town or something. But in many parts of the country, children and teachers continue to wear masks in the classroom. Exposure rules still keep kids at home for days on end. Many white-collar workers still haven't returned to the office. Significant restrictions on international travel still there. Derek Thompson, one of her colleagues, dubbed the hygiene theater, remains widespread with businesses and government offices engaged in costly deep cleaning, even though surfaces are not a significant source of viral transmission. In their personal life, Americans go even further than these official safety requirements. We were told that face-to-face contact with other humans is a significant risk to everybody and ourselves. Many of us became accustomed to carrying around informal risk-benefit analysis before every outing. Do do I go? If I'm at Walmart, I might run into someone who's got this deadly pathogen, and then I'll spread it to everybody. You know, all of you listening know people that are like that. Maybe you're like that. It's not It's it's not the way we are designed to be. Few people forego social activities to the extent they did two years ago. Many still ask themselves whether that spontaneous visit to a local coffee shop is really worth it. Is it worth it? Something bad might happen on the virus. Don't worry that you're getting in a car, 4,000 pounds of metal, traveling at a high rate of speed that inclement weather conditions and other cars and people on the road could affect. we ignore, We notice that in the past few years, we've kind of ignored every other thing that affects us, from cancer to uh, driving risk to drowning to going in the water, whatever. There's a million, hundreds of thousands of different ways to die, but we're only focused on one. Accepting restrictions that weaken our social ties when they seem temporary were one thing. Putting up with them indefinitely is another for many, of the sense that we will live in the pandemic purgatory for months or years to come, that's a heavy psychological burden. We're watching teenagers, record numbers, record numbers of suicides and drug abuse. So, you know, as we're looking at it's time. It's time we all get on board. It's time we make this happen. It's time we get I mean Mecklenburg is still put, putting some stuff up the school board is it really is it really making a difference? Can you show us that Union County has got has a worse situation in their school system than Mecklenburg? You can't. We'll be back after this top of the hour. Hal Weatherman join us next. Stay tuned.